This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing, so be it through the free 1037 The Game mobile app, be it through AudioMac, 1037thegame.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. There's about 511 ways to listen into the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, and we appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. Episode number 24. And we are truly getting back into full gear when it comes to the podcast, because trust me, I took some time off. But if you say, you know, life gets in the way of things, you're not able to kind of keep tabs on pro wrestling as much as you like when it comes to like football season, because football season kind of takes over every aspect of your life from, let's say, in a regular year, it'd be from like July until, you know, probably January, February, depending on how the Saints do and depending on how LSU does. This year, not so much. The debate isn't there when it comes right down to it about what's going on with that program. But that being said, I think it's time to start getting back into the groove of putting together podcasts every single Monday. So this is kind of going to be the official like reboot-ish type deal that I'm going to put together. Hopefully you enjoy it. And we're going to start things off looking at some of the big headlines across the world of sports entertainment. A little something that I like to call the three count. Eventually, I'll have imaging for it, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Let's get to what's going on in the sport of professional wrestling. I think one of the big things that I noticed and I talked about a little bit during Dynamite recap on Saturday's pod that dropped, kind of previewing full gear and recapping what happened on the Dynamite Go Home show is the fact that Pac hasn't been on TV since the pandemic started. And AEW officials reportedly have creative plans in place for when Pac can return to storylines. And there's no word yet on what's planned for him, but according to the Wrestler Observer Newsletter, good old Uncle Dave, reporting that the issue isn't as much getting Pac into the United States to work, it's getting him back home to the UK, and due to protocols, he would have to go through two weeks of quarantine every time he goes back home after working AEW tapings. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole rigmarole and the, and the stuff going on with that because that's just above my pay grade. When it comes down to it, it's all about, for me, what's going to be next for a great superstar like the man that formerly Gravity forgot, mind you. He's in way better shape. He looks absolutely jacked to the gills. I can't wait to see what he winds up looking like when it's time for him to make his return, but I feel like it'll have a lot to do with Eddie Kingston because I think there's going to be a feud between those two because you have to remember death triangle was a big thing and that got nixed because of COVID-19. You want to also have the Lucha Bros disappear for a good while. So it was kind of just forgotten. And now Kingston has the Lucha Bros in his stable that he's calling the fam. I'll get to that a little bit later, but it was definitely something that kind of stood out to me. I think I was hearing during the Pac promo him watching dynamite. And I think you heard Eddie Kingston talk about the family. It made makes me seriously think this is going to be the direction going forward for the former WWE Cruiserweight champion. Then we got some news about The Undertaker. His farewell tour is going to come to an end. The final farewell is going to be going down at Survivor Series. WWE officially announced it over the weekend, wrapping up his legendary 30-year career at the show that started it all. No word yet on if this appearance will lead to one more match for the dead man, possibly at WrestleMania 37. Honestly, I think it's just time for him to eat. That was his last ride. Was the graveyard match? Stick 
to that. And Taker will speak with the Hall of Famer Steve Austin on Broken Skull Sessions for the second time right after Survivor Series goes off the air. And it'll be the final part of the day, 30 Days of the Dead Man celebration of program that kicked off last month. I love the fact that they're doing this. It felt inevitable, especially after what happened to the 25th anniversary, whenever you had the Brothers of Destruction take on the Wyatt family. It makes perfect sense when you think about that. So I love the fact they're doing a dead man, grand farewell, 30 years of the dead man, the 30 days of the dead man, the Paul Bear documentary. I haven't watched yet, but I've heard some amazing things about how it's all put together. And then we get to New Japan. They had their big power struggle pay-per-view on Saturday morning, our time. And then it was like, I think Saturday night, their time. I'm I, I having a hard time figuring out exactly how the, these time zone things work, especially once you cross international waters. But this was a little bit more of a letdown just in terms of the surprises we've gotten years past, like Chris Jericho challenging Hiroshi Tanahashi and all these great things that happened typically. This was a little bit more just standard fare. It was still good, but it just wasn't nearly as great as many expected. It all started off with Toru Yano retaining the King of Pro Wrestling 2020 trophy in a no-corner pads match, which I thought was an interesting idea. And he beat Zack Sabre Jr. in a really fun match. It's great to see Toriano winning a title, or winning a trophy, I should say, and retaining it. Then we get a new never-open-weight champion with Shingo Tagaki beating Minoru Suzuki. Hard-hitting contest there. Was able to kind of catch some highlights of it, and it was pretty darn good, as expected, between those two. Hopefully we get to see a really lengthy reign with Tagaki, because... Minoru Suzuki was only like a 69-day reign. A nice length, but nowhere near as great as it should have been. Then Okada beats Great Okan with the money clip. It's a horrible finisher, by the way, the money clip. I'm starting to hate it a lot more because it's basically taking away what makes Okada Okada. The Rainmaker is absolutely his like finisher, and it should always be his finisher. I still don't know why they exactly changed that entire thing. Then after the match, Will Ospreay challenges Okada to the match at Wrestle Kingdom, which presumably is accepted the way it was kind of worded. It seems like that was the way it was going to go. And then we get to the final three matches on the card, and they all had huge implications. First, you had Kenta retaining the U.S. championship contract over Tanahashi in a really good match, and I think that's going to – and he, you know that the sights are going to be set solely on John Moxley and what happens with him, the current AEW champion. We'll talk about his match with Eddie Kingston a little bit later but of course, then you had the double title contracts contract on the line with Jay White beating Kota Ibushi in a really great match. And it's amazing that we continue to see Jay White get pushed in the main event. But it makes sense, because especially when you see what happens after that in the main event with Naito retaining both belts against Evil with him a Dick Togo at ringside. Really a solid main event match. And then Jay White cuts a promo saying that he wants Naito on night two of Wrestle Kingdom. I'm all the way for that, by the way. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see that be on night two. And apparently after the show, Naito said that he wants to face Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom since he did go back-to-back winning the G1 Climax. He at least deserves something. So if we get to see that, and let's say hypothetically, somehow, some way, Kota wins the titles, and then he defends against Jay White... I think that would be the most kick-ass way to do it. I think that'd be great way, great storytelling. Maybe Coda actually wins both nights. That would be awesome. That'd be kick-ass. I'd love to see that kind of thing go down. 
it was again good show just not in terms of the what we've seen in the past with big announcements big surprises in fact new japan put together like a really great video showing some of the highlights over the years of power struggle and how these shows have always kind of been like very much telling you hey these are some of the big storylines as we get close to wrestle kingdom because wrestle kingdom only a couple months away and this is kind of that last stop this is that almost like Royal Rumble, if you will, because they have a handful of more shows. They got Best of Super Juniors coming up before long, the Tag League, all that stuff. They're going to kind of blend it all together. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to work out. So I'm interested, and I'm looking forward to seeing how everything's going to go for New Japan over the next couple months as we get closer to their biggest show of the year, Wrestle Kingdom 15. Can they exceed the hype from last year's where it was two nights, and I think it was a great all-around two nights of wrestling. Now let's get into AEW full gear, and it was a really awesome show from top to bottom. I'll give my full thoughts on like the actual card overall in a little bit, but it started off really well with the buy-in match between Serena Deeb and Allison Kay. This is something I've been waiting for. These two are such great women's wrestlers. Allison Kay, a big independent darling. Serena Deeb has always put together some really solid work, especially in a couple of runs she's had in WWE. She's been great. So this was something I was absolutely looking forward to. And I love the story that was told through commentary about Kay recently becoming a free agent. She's part of NWA, and they also talked about the implications if she wins. And I love the fact that was actually a thing that was going on with commentary, is being able to tell the story that's going on in the ring, as well as telling what the implications could be with something like this whenever a title is defended on a non-NWA-related program. What happens then? And it was just a really awesome match back and forth. One of the highlights for me was a really sick neckbreaker combo from Deeb. She did like one neckbreaker, then basically she popped the hips like it's a, a Three Amigos, and then she lands a hanging neckbreaker, and it just looks sick, and I loved it. And then Serena Deeb retains in a really good match with the Serenity Lock, which targeted a little bit of the injured knee. And after the match, Thunder Rosa returns to set up a rematch between the two down the road after all Deeb took thunder rose's title just a couple weeks ago at an nwa event so i like the fact that they did this and it's great to see how the titles become a huge part of the company since rosa has debuted i personally i wish we got to see more of the other nwa guys because it feels like to me it's the women's title but everybody else just does not have like real juice flowing when it comes to developing angles and develop developing all these things that really matter inside a 20 by 20 squared circle but it was a great buy-in. The promo packages were absolutely fantastic. The Cody Darby one they showed at the beginning was absolutely perfect. And I wish that they would have more of those kind of promos on AEW television because it really sells like the big matches, the big fight feels like. If you had every main event have a video package behind it, it'd be perfect. But I love the fact they do a lot of different video packages for a lot of the bigger fights. For instance... Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, I talked about it. The Cinderella kind of hype package is absolutely perfect. So I'm looking forward to hearing that and a whole lot more. Then we get to the actual main card after Pyro, Ballyhoo, and everything. We get a hell of an opener with Adam Page, Kenny Omega squaring off to open up the show, the AEW World Title Eliminator Final. I was surprised by that. Then I was surprised all of a sudden it's like, boom. You're surprised at that, then boom, you get Don Callis on commentary. Major pop for that. Getting Cyrus the Virus, a man that definitely has a good relationship with Kenny Omega, being there absolutely works. 
Maybe we could see him commentate more of Kenny's matches going forward. We shall see. But it was really cool because, in fact, Don Callis, he's been part of New Japan commentary, been part of Impact Wrestling, still is like very much behind the scenes with that. So interested to see how this whole thing kind of correlates together and, and coagulates, if you will. And this was an awesome match from start to finish. It got into that first and second gear pretty early. Some awesome spots to the outside. Just so much back and forth. It felt like just an absolute war was going on between two of the great wrestlers of our time. Then you had some really cool stuff with Kenny going for the one-winged angel about midway through the match. And then Paige countered it into his own one-winged angel. And then you had Omega counter that. Then Omega counters the Buckshot Larry with the V-Trigger, and it looked absolutely brutal and just left him laying. It was a really just hard-hitting match, just as bad as you would expect. Probably one of my favorite matches of the year. I think one of them, one of the matches on the card, took that away from Omega and Hangman Page. I'll get to that match a little bit later. But this was probably the best match one-on-one I've seen in a long time, and it was probably one of the best openers in pro wrestling history for a pay-per-view, just in terms of the main card, not counting buy-ins, not counting pre-shows, not counting kickoff shows. This was, I'd say no hyperbole, the best opener, the best way to start off a pay-per-view I have ever seen, and it was phenomenal. Kenny Omega won, as expected, with the one-winged angel after kicking out of the dead eye, which looked brutal on the outside, just a really great match all the way around. These two could do this forever. And if I were to put my Dave Meltzer cap on, I try not to do that anymore because I'd like to just enjoy a match and just write down notes. This was without a doubt a four and three quarter stars, if not five star match for me. It was definitely well done, well paced. The storyline was there. A just solid, fast, furious opener for a good bit of the show, too. Then we get to John Silver versus Orange Cassidy. And this is a match I think the Jim Cornettes of the world absolutely hate, but the CDs of the world and the Marks of the world absolutely loved because this was perfect. You had comedy in this match. It was a perfect match that fit afterwards because you couldn't have like serious, serious, serious match. Put a comedy match in between two really big high-stakes matches. This was perfect. So it's like, I just watched the entire thing. And of course, the opening moments of the match, Orange Cassie puts his hands in his pockets, crowd pops. Then I, I couldn't stop laughing at this. Silver is possibly becoming like one of my favorite guys, just in terms of the character and the persona that he has. He rips Orange Cassie's pockets off of his pants. I have never seen something like that in all the years I've watched like pro wrestling. That moment Blew me away, and I absolutely loved it. It was perfect. And then you see, like, John Silver with a one-handed gorilla press. He was throwing Cassidy around like a rag doll for a good bit of the match. And it really was amazing to see him put it all together. And also, I love the fact they were calling back to matches they had in the indies on commentary. Like, basically saying, hey, go check out this other stuff, because you want to see these guys before they hit it big, if you will. And it was so much fun. The back and forth between, you know, Bryce Rensburg and the fans after a Michinoku driver got a two count because they were chanting, you know, three. And you had Bryce chant two, Bryce yell two. And I, I love that. It was funny as hell. And I, it was really great. 
And then Orange Cassidy gets the big win over the 15-year-old man. Oh, wait, no, he's like 25. I'm talking about John Silver. Orange Cassidy gets the win courtesy Orange Punch and the Beach Break. Really solid comedy match, and I feel like it was just the perfect thing you needed to kind of like, you you already had you already drained emotionally. This is that moment where it's like, okay, let's kind of calm down a little bit. Let's slow it down. And then we can get to Cody versus Darby Allen. We can get to another great high-stakes match. Again, the show is booked pretty darn well from top to bottom. But this was another great match. Cody versus Darby Allen. Excuse me. Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. It was a really cool storytelling, slow, methodical match with Cody working a lot on his arm and also being a little bit too braggadocious and the way Arn was chastising him in between matches, in between like different spots where he was doing like push-ups and stuff. It fit really well. And again, it's a big reason why I love the coach type thing they are doing with Arn. And even with Taz to a certain extent, to where they have these guys there at ringside telling him, hey, like, make sure you aren't like over bragging and doing all these things, making sure that they are putting their guy in the best possible position to win. It's a perfect way of doing so. And a lot of great like limb work by Cody, especially working on Darby's arm, which comes into play a little bit later. But it was so well done. The match just was very much got fast and furious as we got towards about the final like six, seven minutes. And then like I was blown away by the finish. It was something I did not expect, and it fits extremely well. If there was a chance to put the belt on Darby, out of all the matches on the card, I mentioned this on Saturday's show, that this was going to be one I wasn't sure how it was going to go. Because I think there was a chance you'd have Darby win the AEW TNT title, and you wonder what's going to be going on through his head, like with Cody and his insecurities, because we all know he's starting to become that heel, become that prince of pro wrestling and the monikers and whatnot. This was an opportunity to really set yourself up for a big-time opportunity to turn Cody heel. They didn't do that. But the way they did it was a surprise roll. They basically started doing the the sunset flip, kick out at one, roll it over. The transition game was really strong in this match, by the way. And I love the fact that they did Cody Rhodes losing to the surprise roll-up. Because it makes Cody want more out of Darby and want to have that opportunity to get the title back. It's not because of the fact he's a heel or a fa- or a bad guy or beat up his family or whatever, like we saw with Brody Lee. It gives a reason because it was such a fluke finish. It's an excuse for Cody to try and demand a rematch from Darby, be it at the next Dynamite or further down the road. There is going to be something interesting to see what happens with Cody and Darby when they do face off down the line, because obviously Cody can't do anything in terms of fin- in terms of contending for the AEW world title, because he promised that he would never do that again. But it was a really solid match. Cody presents the belt to Darby. And it was kind of a passing of the torch, the way they did it. And I love the fact that Cody like did it the way that he did it, because it felt like for a second that Cody was going to turn heel and just bash him with the title. Well, well that wasn't the case. But then Team Taz comes out and does a beatdown on Darby, and they are just about to smash his arm into the car door. Darby made his entrance with it, by the way, which was really awesome. And it had like the face of TNT spray-painted on the, on the windshield, all that kind of crap. It was awesome. And then you saw Will Hobbs come out and save the day. For a split second, I was like, okay, where's Sting? When is he going to show up coming down from the rafters? But thankfully, they did not do that. 
just keep staying the hell away from Darby. I, I don't want to see that. But again, it proves Cody and Darby Allen have such good chemistry, and this match served a good purpose. You get to see Darby have a run with the AEW title, AEW TNT title, because I think he's that's where he's at. I would love down the road to see him win an AEW world title, but I feel like that's going to take some more time and some more developing of his character rather than, oh, hey, he's reckless and just does dives. Like That's great, but I feel like it's going to wind up being a struggle to put him over a lot of other guys, like let's say John Moxley, Kenny Omega, Adam Page, the MGF, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of guys that can be like well in front of your boy, Darby Allen, who I absolutely loved. I remember watching his stuff back when he was in Evolve towards the end of that whole thing. He was really good. And I think he's going to wind up doing a great job with AEW before long. Then we get to the AEW Women's Championship match, a rematch from Double or Nothing, Hikaru Shida versus Nyla Rose. By the way, shout out Nyla Rose dropping the Mega Man tribute gear. I love the fact they did this. But I brought up Double or Nothing for a reason. This was nowhere near as good as their match at Double or Nothing. It was very sloppy, especially towards the final moments of the match. It wasn't as great as I'd like it to be. But it was still fun. Vicky Guerrero playing the like great heel, attacking Sheeta's knee with a chair while Aubrey Edwards was distracted. Then yet Sheeta really pulled some awesome stuff, like a vertical suplex on the larger opponent. Really well done. Even had Nyla continue to work on the knee with her top rope dive that it, Sheeta flipped over, where instead of it was her head, went straight for her knee. And it was so well. It just made you want to see Nyla, uh, excuse me, Hikaru overcome the odds of the native beast Nyla Rose, who put together a really solid match. Sheeta rallied towards the end, fighting back after getting powerbomb, kicked out at one. Then Nyla went for the powerbomb again. Hikaru counted on it. Then she hit an avalanche falcon arrow. Sheeta wanted to finish it off, though, with the knee, but Vicky Guerrero interfered. And then Rose wound up just destroying Vicky after Guerrero attempted to use the kendo stick and then Edwards took the thing out of her hand and then that caused a major distraction and then Sheeta was able to get the win and just started beating the hell out of Sheeta with the like knees like I think four or five straight to the face after hitting one right between the shoulder blades and retaining the AEW women's title sloppy into the match but a really good one because i felt like this was going to be a phenomenal like match i just wish there was more built to it i think tony khan even admitted during the post media scrum that he's going to try and get better at booking some of these women's contests hopefully they can improve on that down the road then we get to the match i was most looking forward to the most and this is probably my match of the year i don't think anything else can top it to be honest with you aw tag team championships ftr versus the young bucks Bucks lose. They can never challenge for the title again. We finally get the dream match we've been waiting for since FTR left the WWE. I like the fact that he had Lakers and Celtics vibe with opposing attires. Tully Branchard was banned from ringside. This was announced during the buy-in, which I love the fact that they actually announced that. Rather than, oh, hey, like, let's just throw it in there out of nowhere. Let's at least announce it during the pre-show that people know what the hell is going on. And it made sense because you think about how the bulk of FTR's matches have been, where they've cheated to win and Tully Blanchard was a big part of a lot of those wins for FTR. So I love the fact they did that. The ankle was being sold throughout by Matt. The opening moments of the contest, things took a little while to ramp up. It made sense considering the contrasting styles of the two with obviously FTR being more of a hard hitting 
offense versus the Young Bucks where it's a fast and furious. But it was a really awesome start. Needed to gaining an edge in the opening like 10 minutes or so. But once it gets going, this match becomes next level. I think a lot of that had to do with the tribute to all the different tag teams. FTR hitting the Steiner Brothers assisted Bulldog off the top rope. Young Bucks hitting the 3D. And they hit the Hardy Swiss Defeat and Swanton Bomb. They got a two. And then at one point, they paid tribute to DIY with the meeting in the middle move, which absolutely slaps, by the way. Probably one of my favorite tag team finishers of the modern era. But this was so cool. The fact they actually paid homage to a lot of other different wrestlers in this match. Just so much going on. And then they also paid tribute to one of the more iconic tag team matches in NXT with the double sharpshooter and FTR. And it looked like that was going to be the finish for a good while, actually. And then they both tried to holding on to each other to break up the hold. Nope. But it wasn't enough because yet Matt continued to feel like a lot of ankle injury. So he wasn't able to kind of plan it nearly as well, especially after he was moving around with the weight of FTRs and his leg. It was not necessarily his greatest moment, but it was still a freaking solid moment that I absolutely loved. The BTE trigger almost gets the pin, but then Cash Wheeler breaks it up. Then the Bucks almost get the Meltzer driver, but it gets turned into the spike pile driver by FTR. Gets a two count. Matt gets his foot on the ropes just in the nick of time. And then comes probably the, the best part of the finish of the match. And people were probably hating on it because of the fact they actually had FTR lose the way that they did, which is super kick. But it made sense. We think about it. You just had a really hard fought match. And then Cash got a little bit too cocky after the spike pile driver. And decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do exactly what the Young Bucks do. And that is do flippy stuff. And he hit a springboard 450 and missed it after he hit like a really good knockout kick. This probably could have won the match, but he decided to get a little too cocky. Matt moves out of the way. hits super kick to get the win. And we have new tag team champions. It's about damn time the Young Bucks win the tag team titles. Absolutely love this match. And, you know, I was thinking about it after the match was done. I had to pause everything. Just be, okay, let me pause. Let me focus on this. At the beginning of the year, we got an amazing tag match between the Bucks and Kenny and Hangman. And we were hyped about this match just because of the fact that we got to see the dream match. This exceeded that hype so much. After the match, Kenny celebrates with the group with Hangman watching on in the tunnel. They didn't really explain much about it, but it worked so damn well. You weren't complaining about the fact they actually ran this angle after the match showing, hey, there is some legitimate, like, there's going to be some absolute brawls between these two down the road. I think we do see Kenny win the title down, like, not too far down the road, probably early 2021, maybe at Revolution, maybe before. But I also think that we're going to see this turn into a long-term storyline to where Hangman is going to be chasing for the belt and eventually win the title, maybe at All Out, or even a year from now, at the next full gear. It's all about Adam Page trying to get right. But a great match, probably I'd say match of the year right now. I can't think of many others that can come close to it. Maybe the tag team match, talk about Revolution, or even Hangman Kenny, depending on what your preference is in terms of matches. This was, without a doubt, probably the best match AEW has put together. And it's crazy to think about. They did this the second time in a year, putting together 
two great tag team matches in an era where tag team wrestling has kind of fallen to the wayside when you just look at the overall like spectrum of pro wrestling, especially in AEW. And then we get to the elite deletion. We start with Sammy Guevara driving a golf cart into Cameron, North Carolina with the Spanish God plastered over it. And then Matt Hardy's making a call because he had a premonition with him. Uh, uh, you have a run-in. Later, it was revealed to be private party. The Neo projects a hologram of Matt Hardy and disables Sammy's golf cart. And then you pan over to show a freaking monster truck. This was awesome. I'm not going to lie. I absolutely love the fact that this actually happened. And it's actually a real monster truck. I actually wanted Googling it. And it was actually an actual monster truck that was last used in 2016. The match winds up starting finally. And it was so damn fun. Sammy doesn't also dive off the monster truck, drags Hardy into the woods, and the brawl just goes all over the place, the Hardy compound. Then we get to an actual ring. And I think people, for the most part, they're going to hate it because of the fact they don't like kind of the comedy, the entertainment, the cinematic matches. And I know one person in particular that will be complaining about it is probably Jim Cornette. He's probably going to yell and, and scream and throw all kinds of, like, like swear words and calling it dumb, but this was just awesome as all get out. This is so much fun, especially once things got towards the ring all across the Hardy compound, Matt Hardy powerbomb Sammy gets a two count when Santana or Ortiz run out to stop the pin and attack Hardy. Then private party comes in and makes a run in after Guevara kind of throws a little shade. Matt Hardy's way hitting him with the twist of fate and just full blown chaos throughout and Hardy winds up finding the Roman candles, and they start shooting them at each other. And I have to admit, that was funny as hell. But was even more hilarious was the fact that you had Private Party and Santana Ortiz basically have a full blown match, like outside, uh, away from what was going on with Guevara and Matt Hardy. So essentially, you had like two matches going on all at the same time. That kind of made me giggle a little bit. And then here comes the part where I think Jim Cornette probably had an aneurysm when watching this. And that was him seeing Guevara running away and slips into mud. And then Matt Hardy says, if you stay in the mud any longer, it'll be a mud show. And after all, you hear Jim Cornette always call AEW an outlaw mud show with the stuff that they do, which honestly is definitely probably the most boomer thing of all time. And it's interrupted by a hooded figure that is revealed to be Gangrel, or as Jim Ross said, David Heath, his real name, which is so... I am... All right. This is where... I really start ranting for a minute because why the hell do we have to have David Heath name even be brought up? Why do we have to have the kayfabe name be brought up? Yes, it's a segment that we want to kind of have fun with and break open the fourth wall, but also why the hell do we have to have commentary to begin with? It was unnecessary. You didn't need it. You had a score of music in the background, especially in the final moments. Why the hell do we need to add more things to it? Let the thing breathe on its own. It was kind of a complaint I had a while back with the buy-in match last uh, back in September when you had the Britt Baker match. Like, Why did you need to have commentary over that cinematic match let it speak for itself and let it breathe but Jim Cornette was god awful in this segment kept bringing up David Heath he's freaking gangrel nobody knows him as David Heath it is ridiculous but honestly I love the fact they made an appearance it was kind of a callback to the Hardy Halloween apparently I was doing some Quick research because I didn't completely understand what was going on there because I didn't remember the Hardy Halloween special or 
it even ex- even it even happened. It was almost like the Mandela effect, and I completely forgot what the hell was going on. But then you had the whole Lake of Reincarnation be used because Hurricane got thrown into it, and then gets turned into the reporter Gregory Helms gimmick from back in the late WWE ECW days which is definitely a blast from the past if there ever was one. And then he reverted back to the Hurricane gimmick after he got thrown back in again as he went back to the ring outside. And the final moments of the match took place inside the Dome of Deletion. I say match if you want to call it that. It was so much fun to see this. And it was also a great callback to the way this whole thing started and the match it all out that everybody freaked the hell out about with the spear between the two ropes going into two tables. And then you could clearly tell the blood was a work and the cut on the back of Sammy's head was an absolute work but it was so much fun to see the way this match ended and Hardy getting the win and then putting him in a trash can and sending him away with Senior Benjamin which was really cool in and of itself the finish was just so much fun and it was a really entertaining cinematic match but I think we need to step away from that for at least until probably like middle next year because we've had By my count, if we want to get real technical here, we'll start back at WrestleMania with the cinematic matches with the Graveyard, the Firefly Funhouse match. You had, let's see, I mean, if you want to count some of the stuff with Gargano and Ciampa as cinematic, the Stadium Stampede match, a lot of that kind of stuff. Even I mentioned the Britt Baker match where it was like inside of a dentist office. That was more of a cinematic style match. I love that kind of stuff, but I'm getting a little bit more burnt out of it. And that's just the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's several others that maybe people can throw out over in the comments on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at Cajun Strong Style, C-A-J-N Strong Style, all one word. Make sure you check it out. Give us a follow while you're at it. We're going to try and put together some more new content every day. But hopefully you're enjoying what we've been presenting to you so far on the Cajun Strong Style podcast. Then we get to the final two matches of the night. And again, I had to basically pause everything to wind up catching the last two matches. I just couldn't get through the entire show all the way through a lot for a lot of different reasons. I was updating my computer and that thing was just was just chugging along trying to do a giant update. Thanks a lot, Windows. But we get to the, the semi-main event. MGF versus Chris Jericho wins. He's in the inner circle. And a really fun match between these two. Wish I could see more of Jericho and MGF. I think we will down the road. But this was so much fun to see from start to finish. These two trying out with each other. The entrance for MGF was fantastic. Probably one of the best entrances I've seen in a while. It was minimalistic. But it served the purpose to poke a little fun at Les Champion with the old light up jacket and but it was a robe really well played there and it was a really good match just kind of thumbs in the middle nothing really stood out to me Jericho had some really cool moments some of his greatest hits he even had a freaking Frankenstein which was just nuts in and of itself MGF won paying homage to Eddie Guerrero with the finish where he has the dynamite diamond he's about to hit it but then Jake Hager throws Luther right into his hand, Jericho's hands, so he can just use that and knock the you-know-what out of him. But just as he's about to, MJF decides to just flop, go to the ground, and act like he's dead. Play dead. Jericho's about to, about to get disqualified, so this was 100% like an Eddie Guerrero move, and I love the fact they paid homage to him there after all he's passing. It's about almost 15 years ago. It used to be 15 years ago 
this Friday, which is insane to think about, 15 years ago, Eddie Guerrero passed away. But again, fine match for what it was, and it progresses the storyline with what's going to happen with the inner circle. Are they going to wind up breaking up, breaking off? Are they going to get rid of Jericho? There's a lot of questions surrounding the future of the inner circle now that MJF, the salt of the earth, has joined the crew. Then we get to the main event of the night, and this was so damn good. The AEW Championship match, John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston in a I Quit match. And this was something I, I enjoyed, I didn't mention earlier, but the match graphics and the video packages, they have improved so much over the last year and a half. They have been absolutely fantastic. And as someone who enjoys kind of like the, this is something I would love to see WWE do a lot more. And AEW is doing with the road twos. I haven't necessarily watched those all the way through because it's just, I've got so many other things going on. I don't watch the AEW road twos, but that's the kind of stuff I love about them. And it's the fact I also love the way, you know, UFC countdown does it where they build up all the big matches on the card and show the training and the detail to make sure you are no, Oh wait, I'm going to go ahead and root for this guy because of his story and the story that's being told through UFC countdown or, AEW wrote to full gear or wrote to whatever. This is the perfect way to kind of build up a big time feud. And I'm surprised more companies aren't doing something like this. NWA was kind of doing something like that with the 10 pounds of gold until they've gone on hiatus in the recent months. This is the perfect opportunity to bring back what makes wrestling great and go ahead and unleash this entire gimmick. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be something I think several companies should be doing and that's at least if not on television put on youtube put on youtube to promote the match and establish your characters that way you you all know who's going to wind up being the good guy the bad guy and understand what the intricate angles are that way you can create your own storylines this way this is a great way of storytelling in 2020 and i think that's really one of the big things i love about AEW versus WWE and Impact and all these other promotions, there's actual substance into building major feuds and creating compelling video packages, com- creating compelling storylines. And I think you look at the MGF Jericho match, Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega, all these matches have one thing in common. They've been built up for months. They've been built up for weeks, and you knew where the end game was going to go, and you wanted to see where this storyline would go. You wanted to see where it would go because you were certain this was going to happen, but what if X happens? What if Y happens? And we wound up seeing AEW crown a new champion. We just want, we weren't sure what all was going to happen, but the way AEW does it with the road twos, it paints a great picture. And it's something I think everybody who's a wrestling fan should watch so they can enjoy seeing the entire product the entire thing pieced together because it is absolutely perfect. But going to the match itself, I knew it was brutal as hell, but I didn't realize how brutal this match would wind up getting. I love the promo package for this. It was really well done. I would just love to know what Kingston promised his mother, possibly just pr- promising her that he would win a title because of the fact he's sacrificing so much to get that title to become the top guy. And I love the fact they're doing this because it really speaks to Kingston's character it gives you a reason to cheer him even though he is clearly the heel in this conversation it's early back and forth I wish there was just a lot more actual fighting and weapons in the opening eight minutes but it was very much a slow build towards it the plunder comes out 
You got Mox breaking out a barbed wire bat and hitting Kingston in the back with it. They're busted open. Everybody's hurting the thumbs. The thumb. The the one thing that threw me off guard was the thumbtacks. And then a little bit later, Eddie Kingston breaks out a bottle of rubbing alcohol and pours it on Moxley's back. I had never seen something like that before. Amazing it hadn't happened sooner. Because to be honest with you, that is a really smart idea and a shrewd move by a veteran. And it made the main event so much better. Also, I loved that this wasn't like a typical WWE I quit match. It was very much, you know, no microphone, no stopping really the match or breaking away from the realism. These two were just going at it like absolute monsters and just beating the crap out of each other. So give me more of that versus, you know, how WWE does I quit matches where after a big spot, you go, oh, hey, let's go ahead and see if he wants to quit. Do you quit? No. And then it basically it moves on. I love the fact they did it this way because it makes it seem more real that these two are going to tear each other limb from limb till one of them has to, and I mean has to, say I quit. And it was just nuts. Moxley rallied back later on with a nice pile driver, shades of Minoru Suzuki, and then hits the paradigm shift finally. But it's all about the finish. And I was just, oh my God, it was so brutal. Because you had... Moxley put in the Bulldog Sleeper with barbed wire wrapped around his arm and he locked it in and had that, oh my, it looked rough. Now, I'm sure this was probably the safest way possible of pulling this off, but whenever I saw it live, I just thought this was going a little bit too far, but honestly, I couldn't look away. It was damn near a perfect end to a match that I think, Many were looking forward to and wanted to see how far they would go, especially after what we saw last year at Full Gear in that lights out match between Omega and Moxley, because those two went all out with a bunch of other really crazy crap. But maybe just maybe you had a uh, Renee Young kind of say, "Hey, let's not let's tone it down a little bit, guys," because I don't want I want you to come home in one piece. And then Kenny Omega comes out after the match is over. Moxley retains. And he didn't say anything on a mic, but it was essentially saying, hey, this match right here, we're not doing that. We're going to go ahead and have a straight-up wrestling match, and good luck, God bless, which honestly was perfect. You couldn't have written a better ending to the show because now you want to see Moxley and Omega. You want to see these two in a rematch and put it inside of a regular match, regular stipulations, none of the extra BS that we've seen on a regular basis. This is perfect because Moxley, you look at all of his major title matches – Jake Hager, it was largely kind of having to change things up in terms of his match style. It was more of a brawl, more of a technical match with him hitting a headlock, really adapting that part. Brody Lee was absolutely a just war with hard-hitting moves, brawling. You saw them go through the stage, all that stuff. And it ruled. Then we get to, you know, obviously MGF, you put a stipulation on that. You put a hat on the hat. And then you get the I quit match, which honestly, I love the fact that the way they did this way more than I did a couple weeks ago with the I quit match at Hell in a Cell, which was still good. But the way they did this match was absolutely perfect. And it was a solid match that probably could have been match of the night, if not for two match of the year candidates in Kenny and Hangman and the Bucks versus FTR, which I think the latter is going to be the one that winds up getting a lot more love in the match of the year candidacy. I think we see a tag team match be the match of the year in terms of how Papa Dave looks at this thing. Because trust me, it was a damn near a masterpiece of a match. 
But it was a great show. Helped out a lot by those two matches, along with some really solid undercard fights that really you had you, you knew they were hyped up, but they delivered way better. The only downside, the only downer of the show was what was going on with Hikaru Shida. It was a little bit underwhelming, but still overall, AEW full gear, I give it two thumbs up. It was one of their best shows of the year and probably one of the best overall major shows in 2020. If I were to kind of pull up a ranking right now of first, second, and third, because I'm definitely going to be doing a end-of-the-year review podcast, but I want to save that conversation for another day. But just in terms of pay-per-views that I've seen right here, right now, I think that this and WrestleMania 36, along with Wrestle Kingdom Night 1 and 2, those are probably the top three. I think it's the fact that WrestleMania 36, they may do with what they had. It was basically making chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what, and they absolutely nailed it. So I think AEW has been making the most out of every little bit of energy that they have to be able to put together an overall amazing product. And this was another sign that AEW is going to continue to be on the rise. It's not just look out WWE, we're here. No, we ain't going anywhere. We're booking some amazing shows. We're getting some great talents from all across the world. And we're establishing these guys. We're making homegrown talents. Yes, we have guys like Chris Jericho and John Moxley who are very much household names, but look at all the other guys that we have and look at how far they've come. Case in point, MJF now could very well become one of the top heels in the business. He pretty much is, but trust me, I am going to have fun seeing this thing down the road. But that's what I'll got for you on this week's Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You'll be able to get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean podcast, the Rap Game podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.